we go. All right, so we today we're in Acts 20, uh, verses 28 through 38. So that'll get us to the end of um, Acts chapter 20. But just again, by very quick review, way of quick review, there's been a lot going on, right, in the last couple of chapters. So uh, just going back to quickly Acts 20 and 21, uh, Paul's ministry is winding down, right, as he's heading back to Jerusalem. In chapter 20, we've seen Paul leave Ephesus, remember after the big riot at Ephesus, um, and he leaves Ephesus, he's going to go back uh, by boat and try to get back to Jerusalem for Passover, but he's warned of a plot by the Jews to kill him, and so that delays him and he travels by another route through Macedonia, and he goes with a bunch of disciples that he's made in all his, his journeys. Then he meets with those disciples at Troas, and remember as he's speaking, as he's Going on in a long sermon, that young boy Eutychus falls out the window and, and dies, and uh, the Spirit, through Paul, uh, restores his life. And, 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 and Paul is validated again as God's messenger. He then leaves Troas and calls for the Ephesian elders to meet him at Miletus. Remember, uh, Doug talked about that. He's, again, he's trying to semi-rush back to Jerusalem now for, for Pentecost. And so rather than go to the Ephesian elders, he calls them to meet him at Miletus. He speaks to them for the last time in what's the only recorded sermon of Paul directly to the church, right? All his other sermons are, are, are to crowds and mobs of people who are unbelievers. Um, so in, in this sense, we see Paul as pastor teacher as opposed to Paul the evangelist. And we're going to, this passage today is going to finish up that sermon uh, to the Ephesian elders. And then in verses 13 to 21 of, uh, of Acts 20, um, God calls us to remember his servant Paul, again, just by way of reminder, and attain Paul's desire to humbly serve the Lord, to appropriate Paul's full devotion to the Lord and to the message of the gospel, and to advance his declaration, right? To be good stewards of God's message, which, which is the gospel. And then last week in verses 22 to 27, we saw God's model for his servants, right, for us in the Apostle Paul, as, as God reminds us that we're called to um, be directed by the control of the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, Paul says he's, he's constrained or compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, just like Jesus, right, even though he knows bad things await him there, just like Jesus knew when he went to Jerusalem for the last time that he was heading to his death. Uh, Paul knows he's coming to the end of, of the road here as he goes back to Jerusalem, but he's, he's obeying the Spirit who's leading him there. And then secondly, we, uh, we're, we're to be driven by the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The great commission at the end of Matthew, right? Go and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And then thirdly, to be dependable in the communication of God's truth, right? In verse 27 of Acts 20, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So this idea, and we'll talk more about this, that, that we have to be dependable and, 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 um, and trustworthy in communicating the whole message of God, the whole counsel of God, the whole gospel, not just cherry-picking parts of it like... Unfortunately, some churches are, are, are doing today, okay? So that brings us up to Acts 20, 28 to 38. Uh, and again, we, in this passage, we, we finish looking at Paul's only recorded sermon to the church. And so these are his parting words to the Ephesian elders 
And remember, he has spent three years with these guys. Um, and, and he's focusing on the leadership of the church in, in this passage. Uh, again, he's the, he's the pastor shepherd here as opposed to the evangelist. And he's passing the baton to a new generation of disciples who will lead the local churches in Asia. Okay? So when you look at a map, I'm a big map guy. I don't know about you. I get on airplanes and I like to look at maps, right, and see where we are. But if you look at a map of, quote, unquote, Asia in that time frame, um, the churches there are uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Where do, you, where do you recall seeing those churches mentioned in Scripture? Anybody? Revelation. In Revelation, right? The letters to the seven churches. And if you look at the map, they're all kind of in a, in a bit of a circle or semicircle there in Asia. And when John wrote Revelation, um, the, the letter of Revelation was, was, a, was called a circular letter, meaning it was taken kind of in a circle to those churches there in Asia. So these guys that, that, that Paul is is passing the, the baton to not just the leaders of the Ephesian church, but remember those disciples that he brought with him to Troas, they're going to become the leaders of these, church, these churches in Asia. Okay. So as we get into this passage, I, I, one thing we Doug wanted to point out is that, that after the fall of man, since the fall of man, right, back in, back in Genesis, God has ruled uh, on the earth primarily through three institutions, right? The the family, the church, um, and the state. And so in these relationships, of course, we see the parent-child relationship, we see the elder or member and member relationship in the church, and in government we see the official and the citizen relationship. And God's people are called to submit to his authority through these structures. Now we know we could spend another class right on <laughs> the state of government and the state of the state and when we are to obey the state and when we are not to. Clearly there are times when government, uh, if they require us to disobey God, we are to obey God first. And that is plenty of examples of that in scripture. But in general, the scriptures, especially in Romans, are very clear about submitting to government, right? That, that no government is instituted except that God puts it there, okay? And of course, um, in the church situation, uh, the, the church is God's church. It's not elder ruled, I'm, I'm sorry, it's, uh, sorry, the church is God's church. It is not ruled by elders, right? It's ruled by elders that God has appointed and whom uh, God rules his people through those elders, but it's God's church. It's not the church of any pastor or elder, right? And God's people lead by example and their life, not by force. Okay? So biblical leadership is, we just said the Shema. This is a tough word to say. The bi biblical leadership is Shema'ing God and leading others to do the same. Boy, my New England accent came out a little bit there. Um, and remember that the word Shema means, it's, it doesn't just mean to hear. So at the beginning of the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, right? And in, in Hebrew, it's Shema Israel, right? And it doesn't mean to just hear, but it means to obey and take action. So it's an active listening, and it's an obeying and a, and a taking action, okay? 
All right, so that's the preface to this passage. Let me read uh, Acts 20, 28 to 38, and then we'll dive in. So starting in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to his word, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because the word he had spoken, because of the word he had spoken, and that they would not see his face that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God bless the reading of his word. Okay, so I'm going to give you uh, four main points here that we'll then expand on a little bit. But uh, as Doug uh, typically does, we've got some, some main points, and I'll give you a chance to jot these down. As leaders, God calls us to prioritize, number one, our personal character and growth. So as leaders, God calls us to prioritize our personal character and growth. Number two, he calls us to prioritize our provision and care of his church. Prioritize our provision and care of his church. And then thirdly, he calls us to prioritize our protective concern for guarding his truth. Our protective concern for guarding his truth. And then finally, he calls us to prioritize our purified commitment to God's work. Our purified commitment to his work. Okay, so on the first point, he calls us to prioritize our personal character and growth. In verse 28, the first part of 28, 28a, it says, pay careful attention to yourselves. So just let's stop there. Pay careful attention to yourselves, right? Um, when we go and we look at the characteristics or the qualifications for elders and deacons, mainly found in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus uh, chapter 1, um, these qualifications are the things that are, are listed for elders and deacons, but I think they're a good list for anybody, for any of us, right? Um, because even if we don't have the official title of elder or deacon, we can still act like one in many ways, right? And we act like one certainly in our families and in small groups that we might have. And so you know you're familiar with uh, a lot of those qualifications, but just to quickly run through a few, right? A man must be above reproach, husband of one wife. I thought it was interesting, the Greek for that husband of one wife literally means 
a one-woman man. That's what it translates, okay? Um, Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, not a drunkard, hospitable, able to teach, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. I got a real argument with that one, but um, not a lover of money, being able to manage his own household, right? So all the things that that you've heard before, that's a familiar list. And certainly uh, that's a good list for us, whether or not we have the official title of elder or deacon uh, or not. Um, But all those things kind of fall under the idea of God wanting us to pay, to prioritize our personal character and growth. How are we doing, right? In, in those areas in, in that list. Um, you know, Doug had a note about David. I'm sorry, do you have a question? Would you mind just where in scripture Yeah, that was um that was first Timothy three and Titus one. But ma- that I took that list mainly from first Timothy three. But Doug gave the example in his notes of uh, of David versus Saul as leaders, right? As as godly or or ungodly as Saul was leaders. And in, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, that's the well-known account of David and Bathsheba, right? But when Nathan the prophet confronts David about that and rebukes him, David immediately says, I've sinned. I've repent, and he repents. And David pretty much takes the attitude of, I deserve anything I get at this point from God. He prays that the baby will live and all that, but, but basically David's attitude is one of immediate repentance and humility and recognition that he sinned when he's confronted. Saul, however, in 1 Samuel 15, when he doesn't wipe out everything in the battle that God tells him to wipe out, he keeps some of the good stuff kind of on the side, some of the people and some of the animals and and treasures. Um, And then Samuel confronts him on that. Saul basically makes excuses for disobeying God, right? Um, and And he when, Solomon, when Samuel's walking away from him, he, he tore, he grabbed after him and tore his robe trying to keep him there to get, like, like Samuel could change God's mind. And, and in the same way that he tore Samuel's robe, God tore the kingdom away from, away from Saul. But Saul's trying to cling to power instead of being obedient to God. He was more interested in the power he had than in his relationship with God. So all that to say the point is that we need to prioritize there's there's a verse and i don't have the chapter and verse but i i think it's proverbs where it says guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life right and so there's a huge priority in scripture made that we are to guard our hearts because we're either being conformed by the spirit (laughs) or we're being conformed by the world and ourselves and i know i'm i'm uh, not nearly as uh as uh effective in the kingdom I'm not effective at all as a matter of fact if I'm relying on myself as opposed to to walking with the spirit so the second priority is that uh, the second uh, directive is that God calls us to prioritize our provision and care of his church so in 28b same verse there he says pay careful attention to yourselves and then he says and to all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Okay? So the Holy Spirit made us overseers, right? And again, I realize that I'm not an elder or a deacon, right? <laughs> and, and many of you probably aren't. Some of you may be. But we're overseers 
in many ways. We're overseers in our families, we're overseers in other relationships we have, and we are overseers and stewards of the gospel, right? To make sure that um, it's get, we get it right, <laughs> and we're gonna talk more about that, and that we are communicating that faithfully to others. Um, so the idea is, right, just like with pastors, they're, they're overseers of maybe a larger flock and they have a certain level of accountability to God in that role. We have accountability in our roles as overseers with whatever group, <laughs> even if it's one person, right, that God has given us to, to oversee. And again, that means to, to watch over and to care for. Um, it says here, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Well, how do we care for the church of God? Any thoughts? Starts with the family. Starts with the family. That's right. Right. And whether it's family or others in the church, what are ways that we can, how are ways, uh, what can we do to care for them? Pray. Pray? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And that goes, Dave, with keeping pure the word, right? Not watering it down, understanding it, and explaining it correctly. Doesn't mean we're perfect and, you know, and not fumbling sometimes in our explanations. I know I certainly have been. But it means knowing it and then explaining it in a way that um, takes in the whole counsel of God. You know, I, I, I've come back to this a lot as, as I've gone through Acts in, in just in my own study in the Mandarin group and doing different things. But that, that lesson we had from Acts 17 where, where Doug's main four points were that we are to live boldly, speak biblically, share inclusively, and suffer trustingly, right? And, and focusing on speaking biblically, well, living boldly and speaking biblically kind of go hand in hand, don't they? We have to be bold sometimes to, to speak biblically. But in order to speak biblically, we have to know it. Um, we have to know it. So uh, another reason to be regularly in the word and in prayer that God will cement what we're hearing and what we're learning and what we're studying in our hearts so that uh, and the, the spirit promises right that he'll give us the right words to say you know we're just responsible for opening our mouths right and taking action but it's it's up to God to produce the fruit and produce the results okay okay and then the third point is God calls us to prioritize our protective concern for guarding his truth. So that's verses 29 to 31, right? So this is pretty heavy stuff right here. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay. So that's certainly a, a severe warning and, and a call to be alert and protect the truth from, from false teachers. You know, that term he uses, fierce wolves. Um, can you think of any other place where, where that terminology of a wolf is used? I know I'm putting you on the spot. I have the advantage of having looked this up. <laughs> Sorry. When Jesus sent out the apostles in groups of two, he said. Right. Yep. That's right. Very good. 
Um, also, in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, 15, right? Good, Chuck. He, he says, uh, I'm in the wrong chapter, sorry. In 7.15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Right? So there's a couple of times I think he uses that phrase of ravenous wolves. And, and what Paul is talking about here, first of all, he, he refers to fierce wolves who will come from outside of the church, from outside the church's ranks. And, and what are they doing, right? They're, they're leading people away from the truth. And, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. So this has been going on for ages, right? And certainly in the early church, there were plenty of heresies. We know that there were Gnostics, um, that, that term, I don't know a lot about them, but this idea that they preached that you had to have special knowledge and it had to be revealed in a certain way in order to be saved. We know that Paul fought constantly against Jesus plus works, right? Well, you have to be circumcised. You have to, um, you know, follow these Jewish ceremonies or traditions, right? Uh, we know things like the doctrine of the Trinity get attacked over the years. The inerrancy of scripture, those are high-level things. And today, all the things we're seeing, right? Whether it's same-sex marriage or... Uh, you know, transgenderism, or, or you know, not you know, not calling men men and women women, and and all of that baloney, right? So that's been going on forever, but that's why it's important that we recognize when teaching is false. Sometimes it's hard to do, um, and then and then more more insidious, I think, is what he says in verse thirty which is beware of false teachers from inside their own ranks who twist what Satan, uh, who twist the word, right? And of course, this is what Satan does. Go ahead, James, did you have something? Yeah, it does talk about the Bible and, you know, false brethren. You know, they'll try to infiltrate into the churches and deceive many, uh, you know, with their good speeches, but inwardly, uh, they're Yep, that's right. That's exactly right. So this idea that Paul says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. And, 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 and Satan is not stupid, right? He's very clever. And, and one of the things he does is, you know, when he lies, he says, you know, he's a liar. And when he speaks, he lies. He's the father of lies because that's his nature. But he takes things that are true and he just like Paul says here, he twists them and perverts them a little bit. So there are elements of truth in a lot of false teaching, um, but but they're wrong, they're perverted. Like, I don't know if you guys remember, um, but for example, back, you know, I'm dating myself, but in the 70s and 80s, right, the Mormon church did a big campaign of advertising on TV. And the ads looked great. It was like, hey, who, who doesn't want to do that? It looked wholesome and family-oriented and doing all this you know, great stuff. And so, you know, about false advertising or false teaching, right? They're, but they're, and so there was elements of truth in what they said, although there's a, an awful lot of untruth in that example. But, but just to take one big thing, they said Jesus was created, was a created being. And they had, and one of the great things as an aside that I heard one time that I've, has always stuck with me is anytime you're unsure about a particular group or preaching or whatever it is, listen to what they say about Jesus. 
How do they treat Jesus and what do they say about him? Is he the Jesus of the Bible? Or is he the Jesus that is something other than what's, what's written in the Bible? Okay. And there's an awful lot of cults that, that, that think Je- or false religions that think Jesus is a good guy or a good teacher, but, but he's not the eternal son of God and the Messiah and Lord of Lord and King of Kings. First um, Timothy one three to four and Second Timothy two sixteen to seventeen. Um, let me just I apologize I should have had that marked but I wanted to to read that real quick. First um, Timothy one three to four says um, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And then uh, the other reference, I won't read it now, but is 2 Timothy 2, 16 to 17, where he actually calls out a couple of specific individuals to Timothy um, who are engaging in, in, in false teaching. Um, so an interesting kind of side note here is, remember, the people that he's talking to here at the end of Acts 20 are the Ephesian elders, are leaders in the Ephesian church. And he's telling them that from among your own selves will arise false teachers. And then in Timothy, when he's writing First and Second Timothy and writing these letters to Timothy, Timothy is pastor at that point of the Ephesian church. And so some of the guys that became the false teachers were probably sitting in this group that Paul was teaching here at Miletus. I think that's where they are. Um, that Paul is giving this last sermon to. They, I, I, we don't know that for a fact, but it's very possible that some of these false teachers that arise were here for this sermon where Paul was telling them flat out from among your own group are going to come are going to come some false teachers. So, um, And then, like I said, in Timothy, in that other passage, he actually names uh, a couple of people who are, who are wrong or teaching, teaching wrong things. Okay? Wouldn't all scripture as God be in that same? That's in 1 Timothy 3, I think, right? Is chapter 3, I believe? Yeah, I think it's... But yes, right in that same... Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So then in verse 31... He says, therefore, because of these false teachers, therefore, <clears throat> be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. <clears throat> Meaning, remember what I told you so passionately for three years when you're hearing other people teaching. Right? Remember the Bereans earlier in, in, in Acts when they search the scriptures it says to see if what the disciples the apostles were saying was true and and Paul essentially here is saying the same thing remember how passionate I was in teaching you the truth so be alert and be watchful Um, and a couple of I'm not going to read these because they're kind of long passages but I'm going to give you these scriptures to look up about being on guard and being alert Um, Matthew 7 15 to 23 um, 1 Timothy, more 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 6. 
And then 2 Peter 2, 1 to 18. I think that 2 Peter passage, if I'm not, I could be wrong, but I think that's the passage where he talks about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So, Sure. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 6. And 2 Peter 2, 1 to 18. You know, and I just think about the times that Doug has talked about the statistics among men especially who claim to be church-going. The, the crazy statistics, like 95% say they read the Bible like once a year or less, or less than five times a year. These crazy stats. So we can't guard... And, and that's why people are believing anything. That's why people are believing untruth. That's right, because they don't know the truth. And I I may have mentioned this the last time I was here, but I I think it's worth repeating, and it's a great analogy. I don't know where I read this, but I'm pretty sure it's right. Guys who work in identifying counterfeit currency, right? Think of Catch Me If You Can, right, that movie. But that was I guess that was check fraud. But counterfeit bills, counterfeit money, guys that work in preventing that and discovering it and eliminating it, they study the real thing. They study real money more than they study counterfeit money. They study real money because it's by being expert, an expert on the real thing that they can identify the counterfeit. And I think that's a great analogy for us with scripture, right? We study scripture so that we're studying the truth and studying the real thing, and when something false comes along, we can, we can identify it because we know the real thing, right? We, we know what's fake. Um, again, not to, get, not to get down a rabbit trail on Revelation, but we, we mentioned Revelation earlier. You know, we know that the, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. Well, Revelation talks about um, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, right? And again, I, I'm not going to get into... <laughs> Let me turn off my recording here while we get into Revelation. Um, but the idea that, that Satan is the dragon, right? The beast is likely the state, you know, opposed to the reign of God. And the false prophet is any kind of false religion or false philosophy or false cult or whatever it is, again, opposed to the truth of God. And that Satan, that, that is, represents a counterfeit trinity, right? We have the Real Trinity, and how, how, how many times in Scripture is the number seven used, right? To represent perfection, God's number of perfection and completeness. The number of man in Revelation, right? 666, right? One less than perfection represented three times and, 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 and you know, uh, really patterned by the false trinity of Satan, the false prophet, and, and, the, and the beast. So anyway, just as an aside, there's, Satan is a counterfeiter. He is a liar and a counterfeiter. And, and we in our own flesh, people in their own flesh, apart from being regenerated, are under his control and are counterfeiters as well. So that's why it's so important to, to study the word. And listen, when I say that, I'm at the head of the list, right? I get lazy with it sometimes. I, I said to my group in Mandarin, I love Christmas. I love the break. I love Christmas and New Year's break. But it's like... You know, you're going a thousand miles an hour and all of a sudden you get to kind of relax a little bit and man, do I get lazy. I take it as an excuse to 
to get lazy and I'm not, you know, keeping up with uh, my things spiritually like I should. And so when I say these things, believe me, I'm saying them to myself as much as anybody else. So, All right. And then lastly, God calls us to prioritize our purified commitment to God's work, right? Our purified commitment to God's work. And that's verses 32 to 38. Um, I'll just reread that. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. I just... That's an emotional thing to read. You know, when we, we've been studying Paul so much, and this has been a great study for me. You know, of course, you learn about Paul growing up in the church, and you are in plenty of studies where you learn about Paul. But I think this study and the way that Doug has done it really gives us an insight into Paul's character and nature and personality and those that he was ministering to and how much these guys loved him. And uh, it's not like today, right, <laughs> where... It's not that often that we have to say to somebody, you'll never see me again, right? But back then, man, that was, that, that was it, right? So in this passage, again, that God calls us to prioritize our, our purified commitment to his work. In verse 32, uh, Paul says to them, I commend you to God and to his word. Um, in verse 33, so he's modeling, you know, that purified commitment that we're talking about in, in verse 33 says, I didn't covet money, right? Uh, a passage you can reference there is 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 12. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 12. And that's the passage where Paul talks about contentment. And that's also the passage that contains the, the verse about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil. People misquote that all the time, right? Money is the root of all evil, they say, and that's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Money is neutral. <laughs> God knows we need money. God, God talks about providing for us. So money is neutral. It's, it's just like anything else that we can make into an idol, right? The, the love of money is what the problem is. So Paul says he commends them to God in his word, and then he gives the example, he reminds them he didn't covet money. Um, in verse 34, I worked hard and helped others. I worked hard and helped others. And, and let me just uh, read this passage. There's a passage, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. Let's see if I can find that. Not long ago, Doug, I was on the radio with Doug, and uh, Doug asked me to look something up. And it was like one of the, like Ephesians or something. And I said, to, to stall, I said, uh, that's in the New Testament, right? He looked at me like I was serious. I thought he was going to fall out of his chair. I've got you on the radio, and you don't know what's in the New Testament and Old Testament. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 and 12. 
um, in terms of helping the weak and, and, and it says, um, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So this idea that he didn't covet money and in verse 34 it says, you yourselves know these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. So, so he worked hard, he provided for himself, he didn't give anybody a reason to think he was a freeloader or to think that he was doing all this just to be supported financially, right? He, he definitely put his money where his mouth is and, and we know that he said in that other, I can't remember the, yeah, he was a tent maker and he said at another point, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat, essentially, right? So, um, you want to, again, this is how, how he was modeling his purified commitment to God's work. Um, he didn't covet, he worked hard and helped others. Um, and in verse 35, he, he modeled helping the weak and, 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 and helping them to follow Jesus. So he says, in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of Jesus, how he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I bet every one of you in here has experienced the truth of that, of being able to help someone else. I know a lot of you guys have probably participated in things that the, the SWAT groups have done in terms of the food giveaways and, and, and helping other uh, individual you know, SWAT brothers and, and, and needs as they've come up. But, um, I think that, you know, again, knowing the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive when we when we actually do that, not that not that God needs to prove <laughs> that it's true. It's true because he said it. But we see it, we see the truth of it in our own lives and we experience that and that I believe is one of the ways that, that the scripture changes us, that, that when we do it, when we act it out. Um, were changed dramatically as opposed to just hearing it. Now we have to hear it, don't get me wrong, we have to get it in our heads and in our hearts, but then it's the outworking that the Spirit prompts us to that really kind of grinds it into us. It is impossible for God to lie. That's right, that's right, that's right. And then finally in verses 36 to 38 we see goes without saying, right, or we've been talking about it, that Paul had a tremendous impact on the Ephesian elders, right? A tremendous impact. So think about, in your own lives, the people that you are influencing, whether it's family or other believers or non-believers, right? That you are influencing, that you may not even realize that you're having a tremendous impact on or have had a tremendous impact on. It's happened to me once or twice where people that I might have known a long time ago or spoken to a long time ago have had the opportunity, to, I've had the opportunity to talk to them and, and hear from them. You know, I remember what you said about this, and this was a big impact on my life, and you know, and I think I can barely even remember, you know, what they're talking about. But God promises that, that when we're faithful to the scriptures, he will produce fruit. He will produce fruit, right? It says in the scriptures that his word won't come back void um, and, and that he planned good works for us to do um, before the creation of the world. So when we're acting on those, we, have a, we can have a tremendous impact on the world around us for Christ.
Okay. So a few questions to, to leave you with uh, in all this. There's a, Brad and I on Fridays are, are doing the radio and we're trying to do a little different approach. We're, we're trying to take the text that Doug and Brad have been teaching on during the week and then on Fridays look at it from the standpoint of a few questions, right? Uh, what jumps out at us from the text? Who do we identify with? Um, what does the text teach us about God and about people? And then the last question is always, so what? So what? Meaning, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to live differently or take action because uh, we've been in the, in the scriptures? So some questions, the so what questions to, to take away from this are, you know, who's really in charge of our daily lives? Um, am I in charge or is God in charge? A lot of times I try to be in charge. <laughs> I like the idea of the practice of talking to God right when we wake up. And, it, and you know, I'm not talking about some, I'm not talking about saying the Shema in Hebrew. <laughs> I'm talking about just literally, even if it's good morning, Lord, right? And I'm surrendered to you today or help me to be surrendered. Because sometimes I say I'm surrendered and I'm really not but help me to be surrendered, right? So who's in charge of my daily life and what am I being driven by? Am I being driven by the world, ambition, money, uh, power? The, the list is endless, right? Or are we being driven by these things we've talked about today, the priorities that God has for us? Yeah, James. You know, the thing is, God says in the Proverbs, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, mm -hmm. and he shall direct. That's right. Yeah. Good. So, you know, in my life, I strive to acknowledge God, mm. so he can direct my path. Yeah. And uh, and when I don't acknowledge him, that's when I have a tendency to get in trouble. And I don't like to be in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. That's a good line. I don't like to be in trouble. That's right. We should put that on a bumper sticker. Okay. All right. So who is really in charge of my daily life? What am I driven by? And finally, am I faithful in communicating the whole counsel of God? And again, I can attest to that. It's getting, it's hard to do that sometimes because we're under a lot of pressure sometimes in the world we live in. <clears throat> You know, to, to try to be conformed to the world or to be politically correct, right? I mean, I, it, it's amazing the things that go through my mind now about, oh, you know, like at work. Can, can I, and I'm not even talking about biblical things. I'm just talking about normal everyday things. Can I say that in front of this group? Can I say that in front of this person? You know, um, I'm starting to see a lot of... Uh, a lot of email signatures, official email signatures at work, listing he, him, his, listing their pronouns, listing their correct pronouns. So all of this stuff that we're dealing with, man, is infiltrating everything. And so when we have the opportunity, remember, remember Paul uses the phrase, I didn't shrink back. I like that phrase. I didn't shrink back. That would be a good bumper sticker. Don't shrink back. Um, that's a good reminder for us. Um, are we willing to not shrink back and tell people the truth, right? All right, got a couple minutes, believe it or not. Any, anything you guys wanna comment on?
you know, I'm afraid it's a, it's a little bit negative in that we haven't done these things. So you see leadership in churches. What's the church where the pastor is now suing the church and suing the pastor? Celebration. I live like 10 feet from there. Pastors, unless, and I hope you guys all disagree with me, but there's a lot of churches where pastors aren't teaching the truth. I I just think about the poor folks that are sitting in there Mm -hmm. trusting those pastors. The humanistic thinking that we're. I got this guy. It just scares the crap out of me. Yeah. Yeah, that, well, reminds me of what Doug, the note Doug had in his notes about it's God's church, not a pastor's church or an elder's church, and too many people are thinking with his the pastor, right, exactly. I mean, if, you, if you read that and that doesn't round your socks, yeah. why would it why? Yeah. He is the head. You go to Colossians, he's the head of the church. Right. You know, for many years I was a Methodist. I hate every day whenever you know pick up the paper and see something about how how they're splitting up the Methodist church. Yeah. Yeah. Like you say, you got a minister that's saying, "Oh, this is the way to go. This is the way to go." Yeah. And it's you know, it's, you know, it's the devil. You know, yeah. Breaking it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What one more Revelation reference? In in and I you may have heard me say this before. In Revelation 12, Revelation 12 is this great chapter. It's a short chapter, but it's like the whole history of God's plan of salvation. And basically it talks about Jesus being born out of the covenant community of Israel and the dragon waiting right there to devour Jesus. And that, you know, think about Herod killing the babies, right? But God protects him. And then it talks right, it doesn't, right from there it goes right to God raised him up and, and brought him back to heaven. And the dragon was enraged, it says. And in basically in the end, it says, and the dragon went off to make war. The dragon was enraged and went off to make war against the offspring of the woman, meaning the church. That's it. Yeah, did you? Yeah. Hopefully I got it semi-right. But, uh, <laughs> but that's it. You're right. You're exactly right. That's what's going on. I mean, and I think it's also, and Doug's talked about this, uh, somewhat of a weeding out process. You know, are we seeing people hang on to the truth versus abandon it? So, there's two. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of R.C. Sproul. The Ligonier Ministries, every other year, does a survey. You would be surprised at how many people don't think that Jesus is the Son of God or the Son of God. Did I 